Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the final part of our gospel series. Executive Pastor Mitchell Neldon explores how God wants to use you to help write a new story. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. I think that God loves plot twists. I think he does. Because you can look time and time again in Scripture, and you can see plot twist after plot twist. You can see the story of Moses where he's born a slave, raised as a prince, as Pharaoh's grandson, is exiled as a murderer, and is brought back as the leader of God's people and, and brings them out of slavery and into the promised land, almost to the promised land, about as close as you can get without your eyes getting wet, and he almost got there. And that was a big plot twist. There's really several plot twists back to back to back. And you have David, right, who's the youngest of, out of his brothers, and he becomes the king of Israel and becomes a, a, one of the most popular kings in Israel's history and definitely the one that established him as a, as a dominant force in the area. And that, that was a big plot twist, to go from the youngest of several brothers to being the king of the kingdom of Israel. And uh, God loves plot twists in our lives, too. And, and one of the biggest plot, I love plot twists as well and other people's stories and stories that I watch. And, and uh, one of the things that, that I do with my spare time, and, and I, had, I preached a series a couple of months ago, and I didn't reference this one time, but I love the show Survivor. And if you like the show Survivor, you know there's one thing that becomes kind of the standard operating procedure at Tribal Council is the blind side, Right? Sometimes God takes something and he blindsides us for better or for worse for our lives with God. He always means it for the better, but sometimes we take it as like, oh man, I'm not so sure that I can handle this. I'm not so sure that I'm ready for this. And there's a plot twist that happened, I guess it's been uh, almost three years ago now. So if you want to put that picture up on the screen, this was a plot twist, probably the biggest plot twist of my, of my whole life <laughs> was this guy right here. Uh, we were about to go on vacation, and, and our small group, two different people came up to us and said, said I, I, I had a dream that you were pregnant, Carrie. And we were like, no way. She pressed so funny. No way. She's pregnant. And then two different people that, that did, not, did not talk about it. I'm not saying that God sent them the dream. Maybe he did. I don't know. We'll have to ask them. But Carrie was, was kind of thinking more and more about it after these two different people said that. And so we're on vacation. We, my mom watches Ruby while she's asleep, and we go out. We're in Gulf Shores, and we go out to this little diner. And Carrie's like, what if we just picked up a pregnancy test just to see? So we go. We, we walked from our condo to the diner. We stopped by and got a pregnancy test on the way in this little convenience store. She goes to the back, uh, and she texts from the bathroom, texts me a picture of the test. So, of course, I've only seen one other one of these in my whole life, so I'm not sure what it says. And I said, what does that mean? She said, I'm pregnant. I didn't even text back, I don't think. I just, I just thought about all the money that, that we had just spent on Ruby. Ruby was 15 months old at the time. So it was a big plot twist. And I told her when she got back out of the bathroom and sat down, I said, we're going back by that convenience store and buying another pregnancy test. Sure enough, that one came back positive as well. So Miles, big plot twist in our life. And of course, God meant that for good. Of course, the blessings that come from unexpected things in our life. The stories that are written from plot twists where you think things are going to go one way, and then the plot twist happens and things go another way. 
And one of the plot twists, probably the biggest plot twist, almost definitively the biggest plot twist in history, was the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus, for the people that were looking for the Messiah 2,000 years ago, when Jesus shows up on the scene proclaiming to be that foretold Messiah, they couldn't believe it. Some plot twists are simply unbelievable. Many a time as people walked up to Jeff Propes with their torch, not believing that they just got voted out. But sure enough, there was enough votes and they did get voted out. Sure enough, Jesus showed up and said, I am the Messiah. And the religious establishment at the time in Israel said, well, what about this? What about that? You don't meet these criteria. And every single time they had a question, Jesus had the answer that they didn't expect but is absolutely the right answer, proving himself to be the Messiah. One of the things that was really unbelievable, unbelievable for them was that the Messiah, he was a son, was the son of God, that there was no earthly father, that he was born of a virgin, and that not only was he born of a virgin, but he claimed that who his father was was his heavenly father, and that was God, and that he was God's son. And that was something that they could not really wrap their minds around because they saw that as him saying, I'm equal to God. And that was unbelievable for them. How, how can this man that we can see with our own eyes and touch with our hands and hear his words, how can he be on the same level as the God whose presence is in the Holy of Holies where only one man can go in? How is that the same? And Jesus is saying, I am who, you, who he is. I am the Son of God. I am God. And he's putting himself on the same level. That was unbelievable. That was a big plot twist of who they thought the Messiah was. They thought the Messiah was going to come in wielding a sword, defeat all of Israel's oppressors, and reestablish the physical kingdom of Israel. Jesus was born a baby in a barn, raised as a carpenter's son, was a servant rabbi, was crucified as a criminal, but was resurrected as the king of the whole world, as the son of God, as the true Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Not just for the kingdom of Israel, but for the whole world. What a plot twist. And not a lot of people saw coming. And one guy, one Jewish person in particular, that we've been talking about, I think, this whole series every single week, that couldn't wrap his mind around this plot twist of who the Messiah was, was a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul said that he was the most zealous out of the zealots. He was jazzed up about God's story in the Old Covenant. And he was so wrapped up in what he thought the Old Covenant was all about that he could not see the truth of Jesus. And because the truth of Jesus was such a big plot twist, it was offensive to the people that truly followed the Old Covenant and didn't recognize what Jesus came to do in establishing a new covenant. And Saul was one of these guys who, who believed in the Old Covenant so much and rejected this new covenant that Jesus introduced with his life, death, and resurrection that he decided he was going to dedicate his life to rounding up Christians, throwing them in prison, and a lot of those Christians ended up being killed for what they believed. And Paul and Saul was instrumental in that happening for those Christians. He desired for Christianity to be wiped off the face of the planet. So one day, a plot twist happened. Jesus, the biggest plot twist in his history, stopped him in the middle of the road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
That was a bit, another big plot twist in the story of God and his people. Where the most zealous of the zealots, who had dedicated his life to killing Christians, now dedicated his life to bringing Christ to the non-Jewish world. The guy who wanted to stop at all costs the message of Jesus from getting out ended up dying for the message of Jesus. I believe God loves plot twists. And Saul, he is, he, in Greek, is called Paul. And Paul, he writes a bunch of letters. He plants, a bunch of, he plants a bunch of churches. And he goes around, and he wants the message of Jesus to saturate the whole earth. He understands the great commission that was given to those 12 disciples. And he was given that same commission as an apostle of Jesus. And he wanted to, to see God's vision of Christ being brought to the whole world play out in his lifetime. And he worked to the day that he died to make sure that he did everything that he could for that to happen. And one of the letters we're going to look at is, is a letter to the Christians that lived in Rome. And so uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. He understood Roman culture, and he wanted to make sure that he wrote a letter to these Christians before he even visited them. He's like, I'm going to send you this letter. You read it so we can get on the same page and get a lot of traction. And in Romans chapter 10 is going to be our main text today. And he's writing to them, and he's trying to, in chapter 10, he's trying to explain why the Jewish people have a hard time understanding what Jesus came to do. He's trying to explain to these Roman Christians, okay, the God-chosen people, the reason they have a hard time with what Jesus said that he was, this is why. And in verse 1 of Romans chapter 10, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. This is good news for the Christians that lived in Rome because a lot of these were non-Jewish people. And that's why they, they need a letter written to them to help them understand why the Jewish people are having a hard time understanding who Jesus was and what he was trying to do. And Paul says to these Roman Christians, the Jewish people, they are clinging to the old story, the old covenant, the old way of doing things. And one of the ways is because it's familiar. They've, they've wrapped their minds around it. Their culture is based around it. Their daily lives is based on this old covenant. And for someone to come in and say, hey, I fulfilled this. This is the old way of doing things. Let's do things differently now. And what Jesus claimed in his life and death and resurrection, that was difficult for them to understand. Can we identify with that a little bit? Where somebody comes in and says, you know, the old way, you've always done things that you've kind of based your life on, your, your, your culture on. There's a new way of doing things. That's difficult for us to understand because we've kind of carved out comfort zones in the old way of doing things. We've carved out the areas that we like. We've identified the reasons we do what we do and believe what we believe. And so we can't blame the Jewish people from 2,000 years ago too much for having a hard time understanding the plot twist of Jesus. The reason that this is good news for the Christians in Rome is because in the Old Covenant, they had to jump through a lot of hoops to get right with God. 
And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, because of Jesus, you and everybody, doesn't matter where you were born, no matter what you've done, no matter who your parents are, no matter what rung on the societal ladder you belong on, Jesus came for you and all who believe in him are made right with God. All who believe in him, Roman, Jew, doesn't matter. Whoever comes to Jesus and believes in him, they have access to God and have a relationship with God through that faith. It's good news. It's the gospel. And that's hard for the Jewish people to understand, but it was good news for the Christians that lived in Rome. And Moses continues, he's referencing, he's going to reference something in this next section. And this reference really, really blows my mind. So, so let's, uh, I don't want to make, I want to make sure I dig into this a little bit, but verse 5 of Romans 10, he says, For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. There's about 611 613, it depends on how you break down a couple of those laws. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will, go up to ev- who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who will go to the place of dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says this message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and is in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Paul is borrowing words from Moses, who wrote words almost identical to this 1,500 years before Jesus. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see it's 1,500 B.C. Moses is, is explaining the law, and in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see where Moses is at the end of his life, and he's trying to get everything squared away. He's trying to make sure that they understand the law, because they're about to enter the promised land. They're about to cross the Jordan, and this promised land that God had, had promised to give them 40 years before that, they're about to enter that. He wants to make sure after, before he dies that everything is good to go. So this is 1,500 years before Paul wrote the words that we just read. In verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go down, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away you must ask who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Moses is saying here, the reason that this law has been given to you in the manner that it's given to you, so that you can see it and you can actually live by it. It's not in heaven. It's actually written down. It's not across the sea, hidden somewhere. It's actually right here. He says that it's in your heart and it should be on your lips. Moses goes on other places, says that it, you should write it on your doorsteps. You should put it on your foreheads. You should put it on your hands. The message of God is close. And of course, we know as Christians living in 2021 how close the message is. And Paul is borrowing Moses' words for a very specific reason. Is that obeying the commands of God isn't like going to heaven or crossing the sea. But Jesus fulfilled that law. Even though for the Jewish people, they could see the law and they could try to obey it with their lives. They could try to live their life obeying every single law, all 611, 613 laws. They could try to do that. 
But Jesus shows up 1,500 years later after Moses writes these words, and he says, I am going to fulfill every single one of these with my life so that you do not have to, so that by faith you can have a relationship with God. Not through obedience, but through faith in what I've done, you can have a relationship with God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your story has been, you can have a relationship with God through faith. Jesus lived a very special life, and, and Moses, he, he wrote these words in 1500 B.C., right? And uh, Jesus ascended. He didn't have to ascend into heaven, right, to give us the law. He actually came down. You see what, what Paul is trying to do here? He's trying to say, hey, I know that you grew up, I know the Jews grew up thinking that, that God is far away and that the law is close, but in Jesus, God came down to earth from heaven and lived out the law. And Paul's saying, you don't have to go down to the depths, to the place of the dead. Jesus died for you, and he came back to life. The fulfillment of what Moses wrote 1,500 years before Jesus actually fulfilled it just blows my mind. It convinces me of the reality of Jesus and who God is. That 1,500 years, separated by 1,500 years, Moses can write something, Paul can reference it, and Jesus fulfilled it, and Paul's able to write about it. That convinces me of not only the truth and the reality of Jesus, but the truth and reality of the Bible. So Paul uses not only that reference where he says Jesus came, he didn't ascend into heaven, he actually came down to earth. And he then descended into the place of the dead, but then came back. He then says the final sentence of, of Moses' writing in, in verse 14 of Deuteronomy 30. He actually says the message is very close to you. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. This message is not far away. If you believe in Jesus, you can identify with this. If you can tell your salvation story where you believe in Jesus, whether it was a process for you or whether you walked down the aisle bawling your eyes out because you know that you made some big mistakes with your life and you repented right then and there and your faith in Jesus saved you. No matter what your story is, you know that the message of Jesus is very near and dear to you. That it should be on your lips and it should be in your heart. And that the fulfillment of the law through Jesus allows us to do something very special with our lives. And that's to place our faith in him and have a new life in Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, and let's go back there. Paul continues to write. And he says, in fact, the message is very close at hand. is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message of faith that we preach. And he goes on to explain a little bit about what this message is, what this story is. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You probably, if you spend any time in church, you might have heard this. 
This is a very common use for when sharing the gospel with people. This reference is used all the time in sharing the gospel with people. But what often gets left out is that the reason that Paul is saying if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth is because he is referencing what Moses said 1,500 years earlier, saying the message is close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. If you believe with your lips and with your heart, if you have faith in what Jesus has done for you and he is wanting to add power to the message of faith by referencing Deuteronomy 30, 14, and saying, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, something happens. The plot twist of Jesus, as often plot twists do, they create a new story out of old stories. Paul was somebody who fully believed the old story of his life. That he had climbed to the top of the ladder of Jewish society, of the Jewish religion. And he fully believed, he sold out of it, he sold out to it completely. Then a plot twist happens. That plot twist was named Jesus. He believed in it. Then all of a sudden he realized life isn't about climbing any sort of ladders. It's actually about serving people and telling people about Jesus, the ultimate servant. So often we, we think about the old ways of doing things. We think about the way that we naturally gravitate towards our comfort zones. We think about the, the person we've always have been, and we get tethered to the, to the old story that we have with our life, and it's tough for us to break through. Imagine if Paul didn't fully let go of who he was, and we kind of held on to some of those murderous tendencies that he had. He had some of those hatred tendencies that he had towards Christian people. Imagine if he held on to that, but he didn't. He fully leaned into the plot twist of Jesus. And because of that, a new story was written out of Paul's life. And because of that new story, millions upon millions upon millions of new stories have been written. And because of the plot twist of Jesus, Paul's new story was able to be written. And Jesus, being fully obedient to God's will, submitted himself to a criminal's death and was killed for you and for me and was resurrected. And he came down from heaven and he descended to the place of the dead, but he came back to give you the victory that we could not achieve on our own. That the plot twist of Jesus dying and coming back to life can get, be our plot twist for our life whether it be first the spiritual resurrection, but then one day, praise God, for a physical resurrection of our bodies. God loves plot twists. We too often love the life before plot twists. We, even though our old story may be a terrible story, may be boring, it may be filled with sadness. It may be filled with struggle. It may be filled with failure. We have found comfort zones in those old stories. We have found places where we don't want to leave. We, don't want to, we have found things we don't want to let go of. And we know because of our faith in Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we know that God is asking us to do something different, to fully lean into that plot twist and abandon that old story for a new story. We know that. 
Well, when we look at that news story, when we look at the, the life that God is calling us to, we don't see any comfort zones. We don't see any things that are familiar to us. We just see unknown. We see scary things. I, I hate the unknown. I am terrified of, of doing new things. We ate sushi a few weeks ago, and it was a terrifying experience. And I've tried several times. Like, it's become kind of familiar to be in this unfamiliar situation. I'm still terrified. God is not asking you to test sushi out. God is asking you to dedicate your life to what the gospel says it should be about. But what we want to do is embrace our old story and say, this is who I am. This is, this is who you, whatever labels you embrace for yourself, whether it's the labels your parents gave you, whether it's the labels society gave you, whether it's the labels that your sin gives you. We would rather, even though we know that those, those labels are inferior to the label that God wants to give us as his child, as his ambassador, as a co-heir with Christ, as a son or a daughter of God, that's scary. That's unknown. Not really sure what to do if I fully lean into that. Paul knows that this is a struggle for most people. He knows that it was a struggle for the Christians in Rome. So he breaks down how the gospel message, how the story of salvation continues on. And in verse 14 of Romans 10, he explains the logic of how Christ will be brought to the whole world and one day will become a, a, a religion where people all over the globe will come on the first day of the week, the day of the week that Jesus was resurrected and proclaim the glory of God through what Christ has done. He says in verse 14, but how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. When you believe in Jesus, and probably for most of you, you believed in Jesus for a long time. Your relationship with God is, is probably years or decades old for most of us in this room. But when you believe in Jesus, you are invited to follow him with your life. Because you have salvation, right? You have your faith that saves you, but you also, you also have a new life or a new story that because of the plot twist of Jesus, he invites you to lean into that and live out this new life. And Paul is saying, hey, the way that this continues on, the way that the whole world can hear about what Jesus has done for you, somebody needs to hear about the gospel. People need to hear it. And how can they hear it without somebody telling them? And how can someone tell them without being sent, without actually going? And he references an old prophecy 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 52, 700 B.C., he references one of the prophecies that foretells about Jesus. And he says, Isaiah is prophesying in verse 7 of chapter 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. 
the good news of peace and salvation, the good news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their very eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. We're going to stop right there. This passage of Scripture, it's it's unique because it has multiple audiences to it. Because it was written at one time, really emphasized a few hundred years later. And and we, of course, are reading a reference from from Paul 700 years after it was originally written. Number one, Israel and Judah, the original audience, is the kingdoms of Israel and Judah who are being oppressed by Syria. They're on the eve of destruction. They're about to be invaded They're about to be destroyed, and Babylon's going to follow after them, and they're going to be carried off into captivity. And the second audience that really was one of the main audiences that really read this and really dug into it were the Israelites that were in captivity in Babylon. They read this, and they received great hope from Isaiah 52. They saw that that one day messengers would come over the mountains bringing the good news that Jerusalem is being restored, that God is going to be reigning once again in the promised land. Then, of course, you have the people that lived at the time of Jesus under Roman rule. Because the people that, that originally wrote this, originally read this, people that were contemporaries of the prophet Isaiah, they didn't know it, but they were experiencing the last days of the kingdom of Israel. That once Assyria came in, and shot down the tree of Israel a little bit. And Babylon came in and finished the job and carried them off into captivity. That never again would a king of Israel reign in Jerusalem. In the time of Jesus, they were looking for the Messiah to be that first king in the new kingdom of Israel. But what Isaiah is referencing is not somebody who's going to come and reestablish a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. That's not just for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel, but it's for all people. And that's why Isaiah 52 is especially written for us. Let's read verse 11. Get out. Get out and leave your captivity. Where everything you touch is unclean, get out of there and purify yourselves. You who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord, you will not leave in a hurry running for your lives, for the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the Lord God of Israel will protect you from behind. So Isaiah is writing this, and no one's in captivity yet. Keep in mind that they're about, they're, they're about to be. And Isaiah prophesies, and he says, hey, one of these days you're going to be asked to get out and to leave and to go. And the people of of Israel at the time of Jesus, they were under Roman oppression, right? They were not governing themselves. Rome was in charge of Israel, and they so wanted to have their own kingdom. And one of these days, they were hoping for somebody to come and reestablish it. But what Isaiah is saying here, he's saying to the believer in Jesus, 700 years before Jesus showed up, he's saying, get out and leave your captivity. Not your physical captivity being in Babylon, but your spiritual captivity of being in sin. Get out and leave. Live a life as a free person embracing the new story. And he begins that section of saying, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news that God is king, that God's in charge. Even though there's ruins everywhere, even though the old story is filled with destruction 
and sadness and loss. The new story is about God reigning and us being reunited with him. And we can rest in that promise because of what Jesus has done for us. And our faith that we have in him completely saves us and eternally saves us. And we depend on him and believe in him for that. I am very excited about the new stories that are being written in this church right now. The whole world is kind of in a new season, right? A new chapter. And it's no different for many people in this room. You started new jobs, you've had kids, you've gotten married. And there are new stories being written every single day. And what I'm asking you to do is to leave the old story of your life, whether you've believed in Jesus for a day or your whole life, that you fully lean into the new story that God wants you to to live out, the new story that God wants to write with your life. And a big part of that is by taking the message that God is giving you, your story, connecting it with other people's stories, and communicating the story of Jesus through that interpersonal connection. If you want to fully lean in to who God is, you may have got reading scripture down, you may pray every day, you may serve your rear end off, but I guarantee you the thing that scares me to death, I can guarantee you, is that me opening my mouth about what Jesus has done for me personally, and that he not only changed my eternal destination from hell to heaven, but he changed my destination here, where I was going down a path where I was a selfish human being that treated people poorly, that no one was worthy of marrying, and tricked Carrie finally, and that was a big part of it, but People, this church mainly helped me sanctify my life. But too many times I'm selfish to use my story and to learn about other people's story to share the story of Jesus. Paul was somebody who was way too scary for any person to share the gospel with because he would have killed them. Somebody might have, and he probably killed them. But Jesus showed up and personally said, hey, man, why are you doing this? I'm the biggest plot twist in history, and I want to rewrite your story and for you to abandon your old story and fully lean into the new story that I want to write with your life. And even though Jesus probably has never shown up physically in front of your face and asked you of that. He is asking you of that through his word, through the people in this room, through the people that care about you the most. He is asking you to abandon your old story, to look at the plot twist of what he's done for you, and to lean in the new story that he wants to write with your life. There won't be any comfort zones. It's going to be scary. There's going to be a lot of unknown, maybe almost 100% unknown things. But I guarantee you that Isaiah 52 will be applied to you, and how beautiful will your life be if you make it about bringing Christ to other people? How beautiful your life would be if you prioritize that above your comfort zones, above your fears, above your doubts, above the labels that you have for your life, that the identity that you would rather embrace than the identity that has been given to you by God. If you say, I'm going to fully lean into that new story, Your life will be filled with peace and fulfillment and purpose and hope and joy. People will see that, and new stories will be written because of your story. I want you 
to understand the stakes this morning. I'm talking to two groups of people specifically with today's invitation. Number one, those of you that need to place your faith in Jesus. Those of you who have doubts, who have fears, who have questions, I'm asking you to look at what Jesus has done for you, to see the love that God has for you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and to believe in that. Instead of depending on how good your life is, instead of depending on you doing this or that, that you depend on what Jesus has done for you, and I promise you that's enough to be right with God. But you got to depend on it. you got to believe it. you got to have faith. I'd love to talk to you about that this morning. The second group I'm talking to is those of you who need to fully embrace following Jesus with your life. That's probably all of us, the rest of us at least. That you need to fully embrace following Jesus with your life. You probably know that the story you've lived so far needs to change. That there needs to be some parts of your story that either need to be wholesale new, that you need a plot twist and that you need to fully lean into the truth that Jesus came to give you a new life, an abundant life, an eternal life. So if you have questions about that or what that looks like, first off, you need to make sure that you're in relationship with God every single day, that you're talking to him. But I invite you to prioritize telling other people about Jesus, using your story and connecting it with their story, and of course, letting the story of Jesus be a thing that connects you to so I'm going to ask the, uh, the band to come forward, and we're going to have a time of response. I'm going to ask you to commit to, to one of those two things, if not both of them, to believe in Jesus, maybe for the first time, or to follow him with your life, to lean into that new story. Uh, one of my good buddies, he was actually the original worship pastor here. Uh, his grandfather, who actually Jeremy was on staff with once upon a time, he, uh, he planted a lot of churches throughout his life, and he dedicated his life to telling people about Jesus. Well, at the end of his life, uh, as, as most people's life goes, he, he, he got to the point where he couldn't do as much as he could before. And so he, he knew that he needed to make his life in this season, in, this, in the final season of his life. How can he make his life about being one of those messengers, about embracing the identity of who God said that he was and being an ambassador for Christ and telling people about him? And so what he did was he took his front yard and he planted rose bushes. This was in Southwest Little Rock, and he had a, a front yard that was nothing, not a, not a blade of grass. It was nothing but rose bushes. He would carry around roses, and he would give roses to people and use that as an open, uh, to open the door to tell people about Jesus. When I think about people like him and his story and that on his literal deathbed was sharing the gospel with the nurses that were uh, tending to him, it convicts me. And when I think about the person that God is asking me to be, and the new story that he wants to write with my life. And I think about the plot twist of Jesus and everything that he went through to make sure that I can have that new story. I can get pretty low. But Paul says in another letter, he says that worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow 
leads to repentance. It leads to a life change. It leads to you changing directions with your life. It leads to a new story being written. I'm asking you to look at the old story that you're holding on to and to leave it behind. Look at the plot twist of Jesus. Receive purpose and hope and joy that you're meant to receive from it and to embrace the new story with your life. To make your life about bringing the good news of Jesus to people. Because we need it. We need some good news. People need to hear about the greatest plot twist in history and that God loves them. And he loves them so much that he sent Jesus to die for them, to be resurrected for them, and to offer an eternal relationship with their creator, Father, God. And he's asking us to be a part of those new stories being written. Let's stand. Before we worship, before we respond, I want us to pray. Um, some of you are, are excited about this new season. Uh, we've, we've had conversations with several people where you've told us who you're sharing the gospel with. You've told us who you're praying about. You told us who needs to hear about Jesus in your life. And what I want us to do is take a few moments and pray for the people that you know in your life need a plot twist that are tired of their old story, that need a new story in Jesus. And I want you to pray for each other that we will have the courage and the motivation to embrace that identity that God's given us as his sons, as his daughters, as his messengers of the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing and the individuals in this church and I ask for the the people that, that we are will be, that we will be sharing in the that we we will be sharing the gospel with in the coming weeks in the coming months that we will have the courage and the motivation to share with them and the people that hear it they will respond in faith. Thank you so much for the people we've already celebrated in the last few months that have a new story a new life because of their faith in Jesus. We thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the new story that you give us. Thank you for the hope that we have because of that new story. Thank you for Jesus and his example and everything that he changes about our lives. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, share with staff or your small group who you are planning to share the gospel with in the next couple of weeks. Email that name to pathwaybaptist.com slash connect or message your small group leader. Two, pick one person from Pathway and pray for them every day as they prepare to share the gospel. Pray for courage, motivation, and opportunities. Pray that the person they share the gospel with will respond in faith in Jesus. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com slash connect.